ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. A very fishy country hour today. I'll be taking you to Humpty Doo Barramundi Farm, which is home to about 5 million fish. And have you ever wondered who makes the fish food for Barramundi? And have you ever wondered what goes into fish food? I know I have. So today I have found someone who is a fish pellet guru to tell you all about it. I've been working for Ridley for 20 years now. And uh, we have, I think, about 20 mills um, in the country. We make feed for more or less every livestock animal you can think of, really. Yeah, that's Dr Richard Smullen from Ridley Corporation. He's been in the aquaculture game for decades and he'll be one of our special guests on the Country Hour today. Now, have you heard the news? The Northern Territory is getting a new Chief Minister this afternoon with Eva Lawler getting sworn in as the Territory's 13th Chief Minister. Her deputy will be Chancy Paik. Who will be the new Ag Minister? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Leader of the Opposition, Leah Finocchiaro, says there will be a major cabinet reshuffle and she feels that Territorians will lose out. I think, unfortunately, for Territorians, it just shows that there's going to be no good news going forward into the future. I think this duo that's um, arisen from the bloodbath has really got a lot of the, the problems of the Territory are on their hands. I mean, Eva Lawler, of course, famously told Territorians she wouldn't cut the feed-in tariff for solar, and then she did. She's raised power prices. Chancy Paik, of course, is responsible for raising the age of criminal responsibility, which has delivered less consequences, not less crime. So um, it's, a, it's a pretty tough time for the Territory, and who knows what deals were done mm. yesterday. So Eva Lawler getting sworn in this afternoon as the new Chief Minister of the Northern Territory. I can tell you that her first interview as Chief will be on ABC Radio this afternoon at 5 o'clock. So set the watch for that one, the new Chief Minister on the ABC this afternoon at 5pm. A cabinet reshuffle is also expected to be announced very, very soon with ministerial portfolios up for grabs now that Natasha Files and Nicole Menison are moving to the backbench. So who will be the Northern Territory's new Minister for Ag? Who will be the Territory's new Minister for Mining? I am hoping that that will all be answered while the Country Hour is on air this afternoon. So I'll keep an ear out for all of this and I'll just let you know straight away as soon as that information comes to hand. Will Paul Kirby make a comeback? Will he be back as the Ag Minister? We'll wait to find out. I wonder who you'd like to see in those portfolios. The new Minister for Ag, the new Minister for Mining... You might have your own thoughts this afternoon. Our text number at the Country Hour is 0487 991057. Who do you think will be the new Ag Minister and the new Mining Minister? We'll hopefully find out within the hour. Hey everyone, my name is Bernard England and I'm a sawmill worker in Manuguda community. And you're listening to the Country Hour on ABC. And our big story yesterday was that Indian sandwood company Quintus has decided to axe its managed investment scheme projects. 
Now, this affects around 4,000 hectares of trees, mostly in the Kimberley's Audio Irrigation Scheme, but also in the Territory. Quintus has made this decision after an independent report found that those projects were unviable. The issue with the schemes is that the, there are just, there's just too much supply and the market hasn't been able to absorb the increases in supply that we've had over the last um, couple of years. Um, so that the, none of the schemes are viable and they should therefore all be, all be wound up. That's the boss of Quintus, Richard Henfrey. There are some growers in the audio irrigation scheme who feel the region will now just move on to other crops like cotton and that sandalwood does not have a future in the ord. Here is grower David Menzel. I'm certainly expecting that the demand from the, the um, landowners will be for them to get their land back and, and get into the cotton industry and, and the corn, corn industry. Uh, I think that will probably outprice the sandalwood and but it's got to be acknowledged timber and these you know decades long industries it's just enormously difficult to finance these things and I'm not sure that anyone's got the perfect model for doing that Um, certainly an annual crop is a lot easier to manage the financials on. Yeah does Indian sandalwood have a future in northern Australia? Quintus is axing its MIS projects it leaves about 8,000 hectares in the Ord and in the Northern Territory. Does this tree crop have a future in the North? Let's speak to Frank Miller. He's the chair of the Forestry Industry Association of the Northern Territory. Uh, Frank, all this news about Quintus and chopping the MIS projects, can you tell us what does all of this mean for the Northern Territory's Indian sandalwood industry? Well, g'day, Matt. Yeah, I don't think it actually means um, any change to the existing resource or, or the management. Of course, um, the news from the Ord and obviously uh, a very small um, part of the Northern Territory resource um, is unwelcome. But in essence, um, what we're going to see is a continued management of the Northern Territory resource. Um, for a bit of background, Matt, um, the managed investment schemes, schemes are, are quite constrained in, in the timing of, uh, of, of when those trees need to be removed. Um, and clearly there's, uh, that's, created, that's created an oversupply in a still emerging market, mm. and w- which, which has quite been, been quite problematic for, for Quintus. And we've heard the boss of Quintus say that these MIS projects are unviable. The question I have is what makes the other sandalwood plantations any different? Any different? Well, I think, the, as, as I just said, the, um, the small portion of managed investment scheme plantations um, in the Northern Territory are um, obviously affected. The large portion of Northern Territory sandalwood plantations are institutionally um, owned. Um, I incidentally consult to an institutional investor who has exposure to sandalwood in the Northern Territory um, and they're not constrained by uh, the the harvest age that I mentioned before in managed investment schemes. So basically what that means is that um, there's flexibility and optionality to leave those trees longer in the ground and by doing that, you not only allow time for markets to develop 
to drip feed uh, products into the market and ensure that those uh, the price is maintained. But also in, in doing that, you also um, increase the amount of hardwood, um, which is the valuable part that they're, they're chasing in sandalwood. So, well, I, I guess, guess what gives you confidence that the price of Indian sandalwood oil will improve? Well, by removing a glut, and and I, I'm not sure what some of the landowners' um, decisions will be made in the order. I mean, that's fantastic land over there. There's um, some, you know, some really strong options for those guys to go and irrigate um, agricultural crops if they remove the trees. Um, they may want to um, continue managing those trees um, by themselves under a different arrangement, and obviously. Um, you know, legality or legal decisions um, will will give more clarity to that. But um, I think by removing a, a major glut in a, a still emerging and immature market, um, and I can't I can't unequivocally say that it's going to improve, but I certainly would say that you're removing one of the big influencing factors of um, you know this um, outlook of a of a low price, and that's purely a, a supply and demand. Factor, so yeah, time will tell, Matt. So the the world market might be able to handle eight thousand hectares of irrigated sandalwood in northern Australia, but it can't handle twelve thousand hectares. Well, it's a it's a specialised product. Um, it's it's a very niche product, and I think that um, there's there's still lots of work to be done, not only in opening up new markets, but developing new products. And we've seen that over time, um, just following sandalwood in the news from, you know, whether it be craftwood through to um, cosmetics through to um, pharmaceuticals. So, uh, yeah, as, as I say, as we, as we sort of continue to mature these stands, we're going to get more clarity around the value and, um, you know, the market options for, for sandalwood. So, um, we're obviously following it very closely um, for my client. I'm, I'm seeing that, but more importantly, to uh, as, as a part of the industry, um, we want to see um, the jobs maintained of those um, people that are working in the plantations. And just on that, can you give our audience a sense on what this sandalwood industry looks like in the Northern Territory and how many people are involved in it? Well, in the Northern Territory, we have... Uh, in essence, 60 full-time employees um, engaged in the in the in the plantations in various capacities, and because of the the age of the plantations and the uh, maturity of the industry, whether it's obviously started off in the ord and then um, you know then commenced uh, operations uh, developments in the Northern Territory. We've seen a skill base develop with that. So that's not only internal, but that's service providers, that's um, uh, civil cultural contractors, uh, machinery operators, um, and right through to herbicide and fertilizer supplies. Um, because when, to... when is the Territory expected to harvest its first sandalwood? Well, what have we got? I, th- I think they're... Um, off the top of my head, I think they're something like five or six years old now, uh, maybe a little bit older. Um, so if we're no longer looking at a, a 15-year-old plantation, but we're looking, you know, we start focusing on 20 or 25 years, there's still quite a way to go. Now, um, there may be recommendations or desires of certain investors to say, 
we want to um, remove these trees um, earlier or there may be patience by some funds to say we're quite happy to leave these um, in the ground a little longer but um, notwithstanding we may be looking at somewhere between 10 and uh, 20 years um, to, to, to kick off harvesting here. And for you why is it a good industry for the north? Well I think that as we've seen historically in the North, Matt, I mean, there's a lot of uh, industries that have, have come and gone. There's uh, a limited amount of crops that you can grow up here successfully. We've obviously seen the recent emergence or the re-emergence of cotton in the North, and um, that's certainly an option for um, some of these, some of this land that the, the sandalwood is existing on. But ultimately... <clears throat> there's uh, a limited amount of crops and it is really important, I think, Matt, to, for, for the listeners to understand and, and for the communities to understand that it's really um, important to, to respect and understand the need for trees in our landscape. Um, and I think that the sandalwood investment, there's been a lot of effort, there's been a lot of money, a lot of infrastructure that's been invested in a species that is actually well-suited to the climate and the soils of the Northern Territory. And so that's why I have conviction that this will be an ongoing opportunity for the North. Um, it, may, it may take some different iterations um, to get it to harvest, but um, there's, there's a lot of positive things that are emerging and, and no doubt that this is a, just another bump in the road for this resource and we, we just need to continue to hopefully um, see, see this high-value crop um, continue to develop and, and be, add value to the Northern Territory and, and, and employ people, yeah. This decision by Quintus affects around 120 hectares in the Douglas Daly. I, I assume you probably know what plantation that is. Have you got the inside rail and what may become of it? I'm yet to have any, any detailed discussions about um, what the intention for that plantation would be. I would suggest that the landowner will need to... Um, the uh, assess their options and obviously get some legal advice because it's not a clear cut that you just simply don't get handed the plantation. So there's probably a lot, fair bit of water to go under the bridge before we know the future of that plantation. Um, notwithstanding that, and I've, I, I've sort of investigated this yesterday, a sandalwood plantation completely unmanaged um, will stand on its own two feet um, for at least two years. So there's a bit of time to make those decisions of whether um, it will be continued to uh, be intensively managed and irrigated or, um, or pulled out of the ground and obviously other, um, other crop options um, taken up. Thanks for your time, Frank. Thanks very much, Matt. Cheers. Frank Miller, he's the chair of the Forest Industry Association of the Northern Territory. And if you missed our coverage yesterday about Quintus announcing that it's going to axe these MIS sandalwood projects, there's details up on our website this afternoon. You just need to search for NT Country Hour. With the ABC Listen app, you can take the cricket with you anywhere you go. Bowl! Off to the beach. Take the cricket. Road trip. Take the cricket. Museum visit. Shh, take the cricket. Seriously? You want to listen? <laughs> 
ABC Sports, expert coverage of every test. Big shot, he's out. One day up. Australia celebrating. And T20. Over the right for another six. Live and commercial free. So whatever you're up to this summer, take the cricket with you and listen big on the ABC Listen app. Across the territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Our text number is 0487 991057. Got a message from Sprinkles. G'day, Sprinkles. He says, on Sandalwood, here's a thought. Set fire to it as a mozzie deterrent, and it will put a nice, fresh fragrance all through the Ord Valley, reckon Sprinkles. Gee, that's expensive mozzie repellent there, Sprinkles. That's very expensive. Uh, Another text here, no name attached to it. It says, nice to see the last chief minister resign over integrity issues. Then the new chief minister makes Chancey Paik her deputy, who is currently under ICAC investigation. What hope does the Territory have, says this person? At least Nicole Menison is not under ICAC investigation. The new Chief Minister, Eva Lawler, getting sworn in pretty much right now as we go to air here this afternoon. There will be a Cabinet reshuffle. Who will be the new Minister for Ag in the Northern Territory? Who will be the new Minister for Mining? We'll hopefully find out soon. I've got a bunch of people here at the ABC, monitoring all the information coming in. So as soon as we learn that, I'll share it with you straight away. And I wonder who you'd like to see in those portfolios, 0487 991057. Now, up next, we're off to Humpty Doo Barramundi Farm. It's the largest Barramundi farm in Australia, and it's the week leading up to Christmas. How busy are they? How many tonnes are they doing in a week? You'll find out next. Four more sleeps till Christmas. Can you believe it? It has been a busy, busy week for Australia's largest barramundi farm. Humpty Doo Barra says it's having its biggest Christmas harvest on record. Max Rowley went out to see all of the action and caught up with Managing Director Dan Richards. So uh, this is the uh, getting towards the end of our uh, our big Christmas harvest. So uh, the team are just uh, you know the fish are already chilled and they're just grading them and uh, packing them to head off to market for Christmas. How long do these fish take to grow to this size? They're what? The large barramundi we're looking at here are sort of up to five kilos, and they're uh, they're about two years old. So we've got fish everything from uh, tiny little barramundi larvae all the way through to uh, these market-ready fish uh, in the business. All right, so it takes a lot of time to get a barra onto someone's plate. That's right. Yeah, we've got millions of fish that are you know have come through the production line over the last few years through the farm that are uh, getting ready to you know hit you know big events like this like Christmas. And so Christmas is one of the busiest times of the year for you? Absolutely. Christmas and Easter are the, uh, the big peaks. So this is actually our biggest Christmas harvest ever and uh, comes at the end of what has been a fairly tough year in the market with a fair bit of oversupply uh, and pretty poor prices. So it's uh, great to get a result like this at this time. Biggest ever. How many tonnes of barrow is that? So this week we're doing about 150 tonnes of fish uh, out, which is, uh, which is a lot for a Christmas. You know, this uh, last Easter we did 180 tonnes, so that was the biggest week ever. But um, it's the yeah, biggest Christmas and the fourth biggest week we've ever done. As you said, though, prices have been down for Barra this year. What kind of year has it been for the farm? 
Look, we're, um, we've built a fantastic team here. We grow a beautiful product uh, that's really reliable, uh, consistent, high-quality products. So, you know, the people and the fish and the team have all been going great. But um, out in the market, uh, there's been a bit of oversupply this year, which is uh, leading to some of the uh, competition dropping prices very low. Um, probably selling fish below their cost of production, which is obviously not something that's sustainable long term. How does that look into next year then? So uh, we're not sure exactly how long it's going to go. Um, it appears that a number of the farms in North Queensland have been uh, seriously impacted by the uh, by the recent flooding, and uh, so we feel for them, uh, and that that will inevitably. Uh, result in some reduction in supply into that market at the moment, in the sh- at least in the short to medium term. Uh, here in the Australian market, the federal government's announced the uh, mandatory country of origin labelling for food service uh, around the country is, uh, is on the way. And that will, uh, you know, in a market where currently 60% of the barramundi consumed in Australia is imported, uh, the ability to be able to, for Australian producers to be able to differentiate their product in the market, you know, have that truth in labelling so consumers know what they're buying, we believe will have a positive impact on uh, all Australian seafood markets. So that might at least help you more domestically in the year to come or the years to come? Correct, that's right. That will assist with, uh, you know, domestic demand and the ability for Australian domestic producers to differentiate their product from lower cost imported products. You are now the Australia's biggest Australian owned fish farm. Given the, the markets this year and, you know, that demand and, and the prices, can you grow any bigger or have you reached your kind of peak size? Uh, we've developed uh, nearly half the land that we've got here on our site. We've got approval to, uh, to grow a lot more. So um, we'll basically, uh, you know, deploy... Uh, money and, and you know, roll out development uh, in line with the, the market development and so you know you need to have product to be able to develop markets but you also don't want to be too far ahead of it and what we've seen this year is um, some producers have produced product without an understanding on how they were going to market that product and um, as a result um, the only way they've been able to get rid of their product is by uh, crashing the market price which is um, you know which is not necessarily the strategy that we would take and so really busy week in the lead up to christmas uh does it quieten down a bit after we reach that hump for sure so the team have been um you know working really hard to uh, hit these uh, high volumes over the last uh, little while although we've got a lot of uh, systems and efficiencies in place that uh you know the harvest guys are like oh we didn't we didn't even notice you know so uh, so that's been that's been really positive but yeah now we're coming into a period where uh, we're really encouraging people to have a little bit of a rest. Uh, we'll get a, a couple of you know, slightly extended breaks over the Christmas New Year period and really encouraging our people to uh, have a much-deserved break. And what does a Christmas look like for the Richards family? Do you sit down with a nice piece of barra on the plate? We certainly eat a lot of barra at home, and uh, barra's always always part of it. You know, the crispy skin is amazing. Uh, this last year, we've uh, also launched uh, some smoke products into the retail market, retail and food service markets. So we've got, uh, you know, both uh, whole smoked baby barra, which are really delicious and uh, and very succulent, and now a um, a smoked fillet product as well, which is uh, which is going across well. That is Dan Richards from Humpty Doo Barramundi. 150 tonnes being harvested in the week leading up to Christmas. It's a lot of fish. In the second half 
of the country hour today. You're going to meet the company that makes the fish food for the barramundi. What goes into a barramundi fish pellet? You'll find out in the second half. My name is James Gorry from Trainsafe NT. Just before you drive out bush, just do a quick inspection under your car or under the bonnet. So just keeping vehicles clean so we're not spreading biohazards, soil diseases or weeds. And enjoy listening to the Country Hour. Breaking news, Country Hour fans. Breaking news. Chief Minister Eva Lawler has been sworn in and the Territory's new Minister for Mining and Minister for Agribusiness and Fisheries is the member for Fong Lim, Mark Monaghan. I, Mark James Monaghan, do solemnly and sincerely promise and declare that except in the course of my duties or as may be required by law, I will not divulge any information, including the contents of any document of which I have become aware by reason of holding my ministerial office. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, the brand new Minister for Mining. He's also going to be the Minister for Agribusiness and Fisheries. He's also the Minister for Education. A lot on the plate for Mark Monaghan. Who had Mark on their bingo ticket? Is that good news? Is it surprising news? That is hot off the press. I'm Emily Hoffman, and I love chasing chunky skinks in the top end. And you are listening to the Country Hour. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Billy Lynch is there this afternoon. Uh, Billy, a bit of rain the last 24 hours. What are some of the best figures? Yeah, good afternoon, Matt. Um, well, generally... Uh, it was across the northern half of the Territory, um, generally less than 10 millimetres, so there weren't too many heavy falls, but some of the slightly better ones uh, included the Upper Waterhouse with 14 millimetres, Wagite Beach 15, Gove Airport 16, the Upper Victoria River 23, and Larger Manu 34 millimetres with yeah. some overnight thunderstorms. And I've got here uh, Ban Ban Springs Cattle Station 18 in the gauge and the Merlin Diamond Mines recorded 19. Can the top end expect a bit more this afternoon and into the night? Yeah, look, the, the radars are starting to get a little bit active. Um, so there's north of Catherine, so across Kakadu National Park and the Arnhem District. Uh, and then towards Anabaru and Middle Point starting to uh, fire up with some showers and thunderstorms. Um, so, yeah, that northern half of the, the top end prime location uh, with a trough sitting across inland parts of the top end today. Uh, these thunderstorms, they're going to pose some risk of some, some gusty winds this afternoon. So um, well, we might need some severe thunderstorm warnings if they can get a little bit more organised. So we'll be keeping a watch out for that. Rainfall totals should be modest because they will be moving fairly quickly, but yep. there could be some isolated falls to maybe 50 millimetres or so. Just looking at the radar now, and there's sort of a line of storms, you know, from Annabaru, Adelaide River, and look at all that uh, rain off the northern coast. The fish are getting wet, Billy Lynch. Yes, they are, absolutely. Yeah, wouldn't uh, want to head off the uh, northern Arnhem coast today. There's a lot of storm activity, but... Yeah. Um, 
we're expecting most of that to remain offshore. And X Jasper, I mean, that system, where is it, or is it just in the history books now? Uh, well, no, we haven't put it in the history books just yet. Um, there's probably the, a very weak circulation near Nulamboy at the moment. Um, yeah, quite weak, but um, a lot of that activity you can see off the Arnhem District is is associated with that circulation. So um, still just rating it as a low risk of redevelopment, but it, it might just sort of hover around the, the Gulf of Carpentaria region, uh, maybe get into the Coral Sea just in the next seven days, but I wouldn't be too concerned about that one just for the moment. Yep. Uh, on Gove, you've reminded me, I've got a message here from Bruce Davey on the wild card. So this is the Davey family who catch Spanish mackerel in the Gulf of Carpentaria. Bruce says, very scary, but very cool lightning storms and rain around Gove yesterday. Bruce says 6,410 lightning strikes in 30 minutes all around us. The wild card is moored up in Gove Harbour. My hair is still very curly, <laughs> says Bruce. Um, yeah, getting ready to steam from Gove to Darwin, having Christmas on the deck. Beautiful stuff. Merry Christmas from the wild card family. So there you go. 6,410 lightning strikes in 30 minutes. That's um yeah. <laughs> that's Sounds impressive. On. It's yeah. always good to look at unless you're sort of a bit vulnerable you're, and exposed. You're to on it. a boat and anchored up, yeah. Um anything else that we should be aware of this afternoon, Billy? Uh not really. Uh yeah, like it's pretty settled across the southern southern half of the territory and, and even the maximum temperatures this afternoon aren't reaching the, the real high extremes, so sort of high thirties to low forties, but um those temperatures will be building over the, the coming days. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Matt. Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. And I should mention there is an extreme heatwave warning in place today for the Daly, Tiwi and Gregory districts. It's 11 past one. You are tuned into the Country Hour. Big news this afternoon is that the Territory has a brand new Chief Minister. Eva Lawler has been sworn in. And the Territory's also got a brand new Minister for Mining, Agribusiness and Fisheries, and that is Mark Monaghan, the member for Fong Lim. He's been sworn in as the minister for those, well, in the country hours' opinion, crucial portfolios. So we look forward to having Mark Monaghan on the country hour soon. But uh, that all unfolded just a moment ago. I, Mark James Monaghan, do solemnly and sincerely promise and declare that except in the course of my duties or as may be required by law, I will not divulge any information, including the contents of any document of which I have become aware by reason of holding my ministerial office. Yeah, Mark Monaghan there. I should tell you, Kate Warden remains the Minister for Environment, Climate Change and Water Security. Stay up to date on this Cabinet reshuffle via the ABC News website. Up next... We're heading back to the Humpty Doo Barramundi farm, but this time to learn about the company that makes the fish food. My name's Jason Clark from Humpty Doo Barramundi. I'm the fish production manager, Eddie, and you're listening to the country here.
G'day, I'm Matt Brand, and today I'm at Australia's largest barramundi farm. It's located near Humpty Doo in the Northern Territory, and each week it produces around 100 tonnes of fresh barramundi for the market, with more than 5 million fish on this farm at any given time. That's a lot of fish, and they eat a lot of food. So today I'm actually here to meet Dr Richard Smullen, who is from Ridley Corporation. It's the company that makes the fish food. Hey Matt, um, I'm Dr Richard Smullen, work for Ridley Aquafeed. Uh, I've been working for Ridley for 20 years now and uh, we have I think about 20 mils um, in the country. We make feed for more or less every livestock animal you can think of really, chickens and uh, sheep, cattle um, and of, of course fish and prawns which is uh, what we do. And uh, yeah, we, we, we're branching out all the time. I think we, we make a lot of dog food as well. And uh, they even make food for laboratory rats, um, for zoo animals, everything. So If an animal needs a pellet, Ridley can do it. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. It's, it's, it's quite amazing, really. It's, uh, and, and like in the aquaculture world, you know, it's like uh, there's always a farmer somewhere going, oh, I want to try and, uh, I want to try and grow dewies or I want to grow uh, whiting. Can you make a fee for that? And you get that all the time. So it's, it's quite diverse, to say the least. <laughs> so that is the sound of, of pellets dropping into the water. And we can see these little barramundis pop into the surface and enjoying their lunch. Yeah. What goes into fish food? Well, um... Fish food is uh, it's, it's a quite a diverse set of raw materials. If you, like, if you start from the beginning, um, you have to have a pellet. And to get a pellet, you need to have a starch, like a shell, if you like. So we use starch, which is usually wheat or something like that. And that creates a framework to build the pellet around. Because at the end of the day, you have this little pellet that's either going into a prawn pond or a barramundi um, pond or a salmon cage and uh, it's got to carry all the nutrients for the fish and it has a, a if you like a matrix which is made up of starch so the first part is that matrix made up of wheat and then uh, you have protein uh, that protein is what the animal uses for putting on muscle and for its bodily functions so historically the protein was really just 100 percent fish meal oh. because fish meal in those days when i first started like it was about 30 years ago. Um, in those days, the diets were made up of just fish meal, fish oil, which was the energy source, and wheat. Huh. And, and, and that's, you know, that matrix to hold it together. And then there was vitamins and minerals. Um, and nowadays, you know, we're using a lot more, uh, a, a, big, a bigger range of raw materials. Um, so Such you, as? Well, if you look at the protein, the fish meal is uh, slowly, uh, we're using less and less fish meal as the diets become more sustainable. Um, so we are using vegetable protein, which is the first thing. So in Australia, we have a lupin crop, and we use dehulled lupins. It's a very common uh, protein source, and that's very digestible for fish. And then if you, you, you then can look at uh, land animal protein. So historically, um, you got the alarm going off in the background there. <laughs> I hope that's not us. <laughs> Welcome to the fish farm world. Yeah. Um, so historically, um, you know, you look at, that product, like land animal protein, was, um, was a waste product. And now it um, goes through nutrient recovery and it's treated as a high value raw material. 
and it's really looked after and you what you create is like poultry meal uh, meat meal uh, which is a and, and feather meal which is um very very digestible and uh, very high quality and what we have is a circular economy product which is if you like a byproduct of human food and we're then taking a waste the waste of that because you know it's basically the frames which we don't eat yep. and then we process that and recover all the nutrients and develop a very sustainable um, circular economy raw material and does a pellet for barramundi differ to pellets for atlantic salmon yeah so if you like it's um it's the difference of like a chicken and a duck they're both poultry but they both have different nutritional requirements so um a salmon for example tends to want to has a much higher fat diet than a barramundi so in salmon you tend to have um you have a similar amount of uh, fish oil to barramundi because that's the requirement of those animals but the energy is just as it's a source of fuel and so we can use vegetable oil or, cano- or, or poultry oil as a fuel that the animal needs to burn. And, um, you know, different species uh, have different, if you like, uh, energy requirements. So salmon have, tend to have a higher energy diet, so more fat in the diet than a barramundi. Oh. And so it strikes me that your company would watch global markets like, like farmers do, keeping an eye on what the wheat price is doing absolutely. and the soy price and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a commodities group within, within Ridley Corporation that are uh, probably one of the biggest buyers of grain in, in Australia. And um, they, they very carefully watch things like canola prices and, and uh, wheat prices because, of course, it's not just fish food, it's... It's poultry as well, yeah, um, and, and other other um, stock food, and so um, they're monitoring those prices. Um, and then when you look at fish meal, uh, fish meal is a very uh, very restricted uh, raw material from a point of view of um, the government uh, in countries where it's where the fishing takes place um, control the quota, and so that, that's in order to stop overfishing and to maintain the stocks. So we have a sustainable supply of raw material and so they will restrict uh, the fishing and uh, there'll be a quota and if the demand is higher for that quota then the price will go up Does that? and then everything follows so if you have a very bad soya crop everything's all linked up if you have a very bad wheat crop so that's why a lot of raw materials have gone up and that's why you know normal consumers see this in the price of food uh, generally is going up a lot at the moment If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour, and we're speaking to Dr. Richard Smullen from Ridley Corporation. We're at the Humpty Doo Barramundi Farm, and we're learning about fish food and what goes into it. It strikes me as an industry that is always innovating, always looking to to improve, do something a bit different. And I understand people like yourself, Richard, looking at the possibility of, of insects more and more. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's not just insects, but that's that's one of them. I mean, um, you know, fish eat insects. You know, you, you know, when you, if you go fishing, fly fishing is yeah, you're using an artificial insect. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like one of these things that over the years, um, people have started to say, well, can can we make can we grow insects? Can we grow insects for animal food and and human food even? And uh, so now there's a whole industry uh, that's building building up um, globally. Um, and, uh, and it's starting in Australia. Australia is a long way behind the rest of the world. 
uh, but they're growing insects. Black soldier fly is the most common. And uh, the black soldier fly is then um, fed a diet which um, meets the nutritional requirements for, in our, in our case, for growing barramundi or prawns. You know, so um, we've been working for quite a while uh, with manufacturers of insect meal, and um, it's it's a growing industry. Mm. It's, it's in the infancy at the moment in Australia, um, and but. It's definitely a product which uh, the animals will grow very well on. Um, and we have algal oil now, which is very common. Algal oil. Al- algal oil. So it's basically they sure. grow algae and extract the oil from them. And it has very, very high omega-3. And so that means we use less fish oil and we can use algal oil now. Oh. So, and, and 20 years ago, there was none of that. It, it was very fringe, fringy thing, you know. Um, and now we 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 uh, got people growing seaweed, not only for human consumption, but for use in stock feed and animal feed. Yeah, to reduce the methane. Yeah, in yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's all sorts of innovations happening in the feed ingredient space. It's it's um, amazing. I mean, Ridley itself. We work with CSIRO. We developed um, a bioflock uh, called Novak. And that's um, we've now improved that, and that's being fed to uh, prawns. And in Australia now, all the farms are using it, and um, you, know, you get improved growth, improved health, you know. And um, we're now looking at export for that raw material. So that was an Aussie-developed uh, raw material, uh, and an Aussie company has taken it on and commercialised it. And, and uh, to be sent to farms around the hopefully, world. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, it's just starting, yeah. So we, we've got farms in the Pacific Islands who are using it now, and um, it's, it's becoming an exciting place. So that, that raw material has been 10, 15 years in development, and that's the problem. It's, you have all this innovation, but it takes a long time. You know, you have to test it. You have to make sure it's, it's uh, safe to use, both for... For the animals and the end consumer. For the animals, the end consumer, for the people who are making the feed. Um, but it takes time. Aquaculture in Australia. Can I get, finally, your thoughts on, on how it's going and what the next five, ten years might look like? <laughs> um, okay, when I first started, it was, uh, you know, this farm, where we're at Humpty Doo now. Um, I remember standing with Bob Richards at the far end of the farm, right down by the Adelaide River there, where all the crops are. Um, and it was a little tiny feed shed, and he had about, I don't know, maybe a couple of hundred tonnes of barramundi. And, and now, nearly 20 years later, he employs about 150 people. They've built this massive farm here, um, bringing jobs to the, to the territory ancillary jobs as well such as feed companies you've got packaging you've got engineers you've got people with ice makers you know all being used and it brings a huge it's not just a farm but everything else that's around it and um that's what we've seen that growth um so aquaculture is you know the the fastest growing um sector in agriculture in the world so there's more i don't know not 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 many people know this but there's more um, farmed fish that are eaten than wild-caught fish in the world globally. You know, so that, that's, that's, you know, tantamount to the growth of the industry. And, and Australia is a tiny proportion of what's out there globally, 
and Australians eat a, a huge amount of seafood, you know, and a lot of that's imported, and we could grow it all here. Thanks for spending time with the country out of today, Richard. Really that's appreciate it. Not a problem. Yeah, big thanks to Dr. Richard Smullen from Ridley Aquafeed. He's been involved in aquaculture for decades. He's a legend of the industry, and I hope you've enjoyed learning a bit about fish food this afternoon. G'day, Rob Smith here. Tales from the Tinny has embarked on her final voyage, but she's not going down with a whimper. No bloody way. Pack the esky and lock in Shoal Bay style for an epic of titanic proportions, looking back at 17 years of magic moments and maritime madness. The final Tales from the Tinny podcast, The Scuttling. Vote it now from the ABC Listen app or your favourite podcast provider. Yeah, the last ever Tinny podcast is five hours long. I have downloaded it. I've got a big drive coming up soon, so I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go with the Tinny. Uh, the country hour today, a lot's happened. It's been a big day for the Territory. There's a new Chief Minister in charge. Eva Lawler has been sworn in. And in news to hand, I can tell you she's not only the Chief Minister, she will remain as Treasurer. She's also going to be the Minister for Territory Development, the Minister for Defence Industry, the Minister for Industry and Trade, and the Minister for Major Projects. So a lot on the plate there for Eva Lawler, the Territory's new Chief Minister. And as I mentioned a moment ago, the new Minister for Mining, Agribusiness and Fisheries is Mark Monaghan, the member for Fong Lim. So he's come off the bench. He's come off the back bench. He's in the Cabinet and he's got those important portfolios. He's also the Minister for Education. So, again, a lot on the plate there for Mark Monaghan. Eva Lawler's first interview as Chief Minister of the Territory will be on ABC Radio this afternoon at 5 o'clock. So set your watch to that. Eva Lawler on the ABC this afternoon. She is the Territory's new Chief Minister. Hope you've enjoyed today's Country Hour. I'll see you tomorrow. Last Country Hour before Christmas. Keep it rural.